you for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church. To find out more about the Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Well, good morning. And we're back. Are you guys ready for this series? I hope so. I'm excited. We've actually been kind of gearing up for this thing all year. Uh, Now, that might not be a good sign to the quality of our preaching, but we actually kind of planned for these things about a year out, just kind of knowing the ebbs and flows of what we walk through in life. And and just at fall, there's something about fall where, especially in Orange County, we're kind of getting geared up for holidays, and, and those can bring great things. Come on, somebody, when you get around family. And then sometimes it's like, not great things, right? My mom's flying out to spend Thanksgiving with us, and I'm extremely excited about that. I've got some family members. I'm glad they're not flying out. Can I get an amen from some people in this church? And listen, uh, it's okay. You're not ousting anyone in your family. But if you're here today and and you're feeling it, you can just say, yeah. Let's try that. If you're feeling it, say, yeah. Yeah. And if it's deep and profound, say, wow. Wow. See, you're with me. It's going to be good. But... uh, we're in the series called Goals, and the whole aspect and idea of this is how do we navigate through the relationships that we have? What does that look like and feel like, smell like, and taste like? And, and here's what I can promise you. It would be leer, nearly and actually legitimately, literally impossible for someone to stand here and in 35 minutes unpack every potential thing that you need for every relationship that you're in. But what I can tell you is, I believe if we're open with this eager expectation that God can do something kind of profound in our life. And, and if you're here today and you're not really sure what you believe, you have permission to belong before you believe. But I do, I think I really do, at the core of who I am, and I'm kind of an idealist, at the core of who I am, I don't think that God wants perfection in any relationship that we're in. But I do think we can find fulfillment. That the greatest, the greatest days of your life are attached to who you do life with. And I think God wants to do some great things in our lives. Today, we're going to talk specifically about marriage. And if you're here and you're not married, it's okay. I think you're going to get some stuff out of this. And if you're here and you are hoping to be married in the future, take some great notes. In fact, if you're here and want to take notes, you can text the word notes to the number on the screen and follow along in the YouVersion app. And I've put a lot of the points in there and the scriptures we'll be reading, so it'll definitely be worth your time. But regardless of what you're walking through and what is going on in your world, I think that God wants to do something fantastic. So can we just pray and we'll jump in and see what happens over the course of the next 32 minutes and 30 seconds. And, uh, and then we'll get you to brunch, which is what I know you're stoked about today. But let's just pray. By your heads, close your eyes. God, we just thank you that you're here today to do something miraculous. Not just mundane, but miraculous. Not mediocre, but miraculous. And some people walked in today and their marriage is on the rocks, or their marriage isn't where they want it to be. And my prayer and hope is that today, as we're navigating through this, that we can understand a few things that might help us find even more fulfillment in our marriage. And for those of us that are here today and are not married, that this would not be just something that we talk about. But God, you speak to all of us in this room. No matter what's happening, no matter what's going on in our world, 
In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, yeah. yeah. Awesome, awesome. Well, yesterday I had this amazing opportunity. I was driving uh, up over Golden Lantern, heading down into Dana Point. You know when you kind of come over the hill at Stonehill? I don't know if you guys are out in that neck of the woods. If not, you need to be because Jesus lives there. And I was coming over the hill, and the water is just perfect. The blue, it's it, like bluer than blue. And uh, I just got this thing inside of me, and I text my buddy. I said, man, are you, let's go sailing today. And he's like, hey, odd thing, I'm going sailing today. And so I was like, basically invited myself. I told everybody that he invited me, but I basically invited myself. And so within a couple of hours, I find myself on a sailboat out in the ocean. Can any, does anybody else like to be just out in the water? Anybody just, it's like you get out there and you breathe in the salty air and it's amazing. And in the beginning of our voyage, we got a kind of a picture for you. It looked like this. Leave that up. I mean, is that not, we live here, people. I mean, we pay enormous taxes, but we live here. The world vacations here. We wake up here. Can I get a yeah from some excited people? Oh, Let's just shut the service down and go there right now. It was an amazing day, and there was no wind, but we were motor sailing, so we are moving like half a mile an hour. It didn't matter. And then off in the distance, we saw some fog, and so we were like, we need to head towards the fog because we're practically pirates and something amazing. So check that out. Is that not amazing right there? I mean, look at the bow of the, of the boat there, and the sun is glistening off the water. Are you envious yet of my Saturday? It was amazing. We're hanging out there having a great time just talking life. And then the sun kind of burned off the fog, so we're hanging out there. And we decide to come back. But lo and behold, the sun hadn't completely burned the fog off. As we're heading back towards the harbor, this is what our view is like. I mean, that's like 30 yards ahead. I'm on the front of that, you know, singing songs in pirate voices because you need to, you know. And I'm like... Ahoy, mateys! And I'm like making sure nobody's there. And check out this next picture. I mean, this is legit. That's what we were in. And it was crazy. We're coming into the harbor and like we're listening for the foghorn. And we finally, we get enough visibility. And the boat was from here to that back curtain from that shore break, the jetty there. And we're like, like Cadillac in that mug, right? And we pull into the harbor. Look at this next picture. I mean, first of all, don't look at my arms. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> But do you see, why are you laughing? That's not what this is about right now. Why are you laughing? You see the visibility? Literally, I'm, I'm like, there's paddleboarders that nearly died yesterday from us. And it's sometimes this is what marriage feels like. You set sail, and the initial image is that beautiful blue sky and the coast looking perfect. And sometimes some of us make decisions and we head intentionally into the fog and our poor choices end up creating problems. But sometimes you just can't help it. You're coming home and then the fog hits and the visibility is, it's not there. And what you can't do is just stop. Like we couldn't, I would still be there. I mean, I could have swam home, but still I would still be there if we had just stopped. And we can't just let go of the helm. We would have wrecked into the jetty, and that would have been a very expensive trip. Are you tracking with me? And so today I want to unpack a couple of things. Not to remove the fog, but maybe to help bring clarity in the fog. Does that make sense? And I was thinking through this thing, like literally in 30 minutes, how do you unpack everything as it pertains to marriage? Well, you can't. 
And I was thinking, what direction should we go? And, and you know what just made sense to me is that I have made a lot of mistakes. And so why not start there? <laughs> There's some real decisions that I've made along the way in the journey of marriage that have caused problems. And so literally, I want to unpack three things today. If you gave this, this message a title, it would be literally, I create challenges in my marriage when dot, dot, dot. And that I is not for the congregation. That I is literally me. And that word my isn't like, oh, this is everybody. This is literally Carrie. And I just wanted to talk through a few of these things. And maybe it'll help you. And if not, maybe it's a therapy session for me. But I want to talk through a few of the challenges that I have faced in the 16 years of marriage, almost 20 years of being with the same woman. And, uh, and hopefully we can kind of pull some stuff from it. Is that cool? We're going to go some old school points for you today. Number one, I created challenges in my marriage when I set my agenda above our quote-unquote family mission. Again, you can text the word notes, and this is all there. You can email it to yourself and save it. But I'd encourage you to write some notes on this. I made, created some real problems in my marriage when I set my agenda above our quote-unquote family mission. I want to read a scripture to you that you may have heard some of you probably have it, like, if you're raised in church, have it tattooed somewhere. It's probably some of your passwords on your computer. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. And uh, it's an old school scripture that I love. It says this. For I know the plans and thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. This is Jeremiah talking to a people in captivity. And God's reminding them, hey, I have plans and thoughts for you. Look at the kind of plans he says. Plans for peace and well-being, and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Somebody say future and hope. hope. For I know the plans that I have for you. Check out this next passage of scripture, Ephesians 2.10, probably my second all-time favorite verse. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are his, somebody say that word with me, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Workmanship, the idea, the concept here is the idea that, that he literally is a, an artist and that I'm his masterpiece. Like I am, his lifetime's work is put into who I am. Crafted, designed for good works. Look at the next part of this verse. It says this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, you have permission not to believe, but I would suggest today that God has a specifically, intricately detailed plan and mission for you as an individual and for me. Individually, uniquely, unto me. There is something I am created to do that nobody else on this earth can do. And there is something that you specifically that's a new word, intricately detailed mission that you and only you can, de- can accomplish. And if God created us in that way, doesn't it stand to reason that if we have found a quote-unquote soulmate in whom God has also intricately, specifically, uniquely designed something for them to accomplish in this world that only they can accomplish Doesn't it stand to reason, again, permission not to believe, but doesn't it stand to reason that God would weave that calling together, that mission? 
I mean, God created me 10 years before my wife, oh, after my wife was born. I'm kidding. No, God created our lives, and we didn't meet until I was in fourth grade, and she was a freshman in college. I'm stop. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, and we grew up together. We started dating late in high school. We fought a lot, but God knew exactly what he had in store for her, that one day she'd be on a platform at Serrano Intermediate, maybe speaking words of hope to you. And God did this amazing thing and wove my purpose and hers together. It's a mission for our family. And I believe that you can get off track if you stop aiming at God's mission for your life. So my question to you today is, are you aiming at God's mission for your life? Are you aiming at God's mission for your life? And I believe right here is where things can become challenging. Well, what is God's mission for my life? I just don't know. That's okay. You don't have to have everything dialed in and all the answers, but are you trying to discover what that mission is? Let me give you a couple of things that I think can become potential distractions for aiming at God's mission in our life. And some, you might get angry at me today, and that's okay, I don't mind. The Cowboys are winning and Jesus is still on the throne. Okay, here's the things that I think can become potential distractions for aiming at God's mission for our life. Number one is vocation. Vocation. Vocation is one of those things that if we're not careful, especially as men, if we're not careful then our vocation can become something that we are aiming at in life. And I believe it's important that we delineate between vocation and calling. I mean, why is it that you do the job that you do? You know, so many of us, we look to that to find fulfillment and affirmation, and we forget that the reason we're doing that is to provide needs and shelter and food for the ones that we love and care about. And if we're not careful, then our vocation can become our mission in life. And while God might weave the two together, we have to remember that that is not our mission. It helps provide needs for our family, and we can make a difference where we work. But I don't believe, or I believe more importantly, that can become a distraction. And my challenge to you would be, don't allow your job to deprive your spouse of the best part of you. You might go to your work and give every ounce of creativity to it, and then you come home and can't plan a date to save your life. You go to work and you give all your problem-solving skills and everything and your people skills, and you get in your car, close the door, and you're exhausted and come home, and you walk in angry to your family. Now, I'm not saying don't give 100% where you're at and in everything that you're doing, but what I am saying is you better make sure that the people who are unique to you get the best part of you. Because listen, somebody someday will have your job and you won't. You will die someday. That's encouraging, isn't it? Hopefully it's many decades from now. And somebody else will have your job. But only you uniquely are in the relationship you're currently in. And they deserve the best part of you. Another thing that can become a distraction from that mission that God's called you to is your squad. Your group of friends. You know, especially if you're younger in marriage, it's like every other Friday, it's girlfriend's night. That's great, and I'm excited for you that you have a good group of friends, but you have, the most valuable commodity that you have is time. 
It is the greatest and most valuable commodity that you have. And so your spouse should get the rule, the majority of your time, and everyone else is the exception. Now, some people are getting angry at me. I'm not saying you can't hang out with your friends and your homies. Is that what you call them? I don't know. Your squad. (laughs) What I'm saying is make sure that your spouse gets the priority. Another distraction for us is hobbies. Hobbies. And I just kind of let that like it is. And y'all, I can already feel that some people are about to get really angry at me. (laughs) I think it's important we differentiate between values and priorities. So I value sailing. It's a great value. It's become a new hobby, very expensive new hobby, but I have friends who get boats, so it works out okay in my advantage. (laughs) I love basketball. I love playing basketball. I love to play fantasy football. Anybody in here in fantasy football? All right. I'm doing okay right now. I'm like at 500. It's all right. Pray for me. Pray for me. I love to do stand-up paddleboarding. These are hobbies. But there's a difference between valuing that and prioritizing that in my life. So my spouse must be the priority. It's interesting to me. I know guys who know 65 different players from football, where they went to school, and their stats from college and last year, but they don't know their kids' school performance schedule. It's amazing to me. He played college at Tennessee, and then he ran 452 yards. What's my son's name? I don't know, but I know what my score was for fantasy football. Are you tracking with me? Yeah, true. <laughs> Guys who don't know the biggest challenges that their wife is walking through because they aren't having real conversations, and then you wonder why she doesn't want to do the mommy-daddy dance at night. <laughs> Are you tracking with me today? Because the hobby has become a priority. What do you want me to call it? I've got to be careful. I mean. And ladies, maybe you should settle down before you laugh too hard. Because I believe sometimes your children have become your hobbies. And so I wake up, drop them at school, go to a PTA meeting, then come home and plan 72 crafts on Pinterest with pipe cleaners and paper. Pick them up from school, drive to eight yogurt land with 82 children, come home, do these crafts, make sure that they go to 17 different extracurricular sporting activities, and they just stand on the field and watch the soccer ball roll past, but you go diligently to that practice and scream at the coach for not letting her run, and then you come home and make a costume for Halloween, and then you wonder why your husband is so engaged in his fantasy football league. Are you tracking with me? Are you saying my kids shouldn't be a priority? No. Settle down. I'm talking about making sure you prioritize your spouse. God put you together first, and then the children came. The greatest thing that you can do for your children is have a healthy marriage. That's the greatest thing you can do. Take them to soccer, make the costumes, do the crafts. I got no beef with crafts. (laughs) Trust me, I promise you, I love it. I love it. I love PTA meetings. I don't even know what they call PTO, whatever we call it. But make sure you don't prioritize a hobby. Are y'all tracking it? Y'all angry at me yet? What are, you, what are you aiming at? You know, it's interesting. We get so upset at marriage, but we just have two separate values in our life because we haven't decided on or landed on God's mission for our family. 
So we're running hard in life, doing amazing things, accomplishing things. Sure, the bacon is being brought home. Sure, our children have a very full life. But our marriage, we're just cohabitating. Are you tracking with me? And then when the fog rolls in, when the fog rolls in, what do I do? Are you tracking? What are you aiming at? What is the family, what is your, the mission of your family? What are you on this earth to accomplish? What is your Jeremiah 29, 11? What is the plans and the thoughts that God has for you? A great quote that I love is by an author and a pastor. His name is Andy Stanley, and he says this, that direction, not intention, determines destination. So a lot of times I think we think we love our family. We think I love my spouse but my intention is to love him or her dearly, but my actions, my directions are heading in a different avenue. Y'all track with me today? It's getting very quiet in this church. We have a family mission for us. It's to awaken destiny in the lives of the people around us. Every conversation you have with us, we will try to do that. Every time. What's God doing in your life? Where are you going? I love to get around entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs dream. They have these ideas. I love it. Oh, what are you going to do with that? What? That's a great idea. You can do this thing. And as a family, the things that we value is to serve God, honor all, and finish strong. That's what we do as a family. If it doesn't fit into that, we don't do it. Are you tracking with me? Yeah. It's a mission. And sometimes I don't want to. Sometimes I want to get off track. But when, I, when, when I'm hitting that, when Megan and I, we're hitting that mission for our life, it's working. There's fulfillment. But I create challenges in my marriage when I set my agenda, my personal one, above our family mission. You ready for this? Number two. I create challenges in my marriage when I love her selfishly. Selfishly. And I, I got to be honest, this, is, this one's hard for me. This is the thing, I, I'm good at it. I'm good at loving with strings attached. I'm good at having ulterior motives. And not even necessarily malicious or poor ones. It's just, I'm just good at being selfish. I just am. Anybody else love me some me? Anybody out there? Yeah, that's an awkward, like, do I love you some? I don't understand how I answer that question. I read this verse last week for you guys. I got 13 minutes, so I'm going to try to run through this. I read this verse last week for you guys, and I love it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the message translation. It'll be on the screen right behind my head, unless you're right there and you just can't see it, so it's okay. (laughs) This is what it says. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I do not love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. And if I speak God's word with power, revealing all the mysteries and making everything as plain as day, and if I have faith that says to the mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I do not love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I do not love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, no matter what I believe, no matter how much money I bring home, no matter how involved I am in my children's life, no matter how good my fantasy football team is doing, no matter how much I think I love, if I am not expressing it with my life, I am bankrupt without love. This word love in the original Greek is translated the word agape. You may not know this, and it's not really that important or pertinent to your life, but the Bible in the New Testament was written in Greek, not English. There's four different ancient Greek words for love. And this specific one is agape. 
And I just want to read some of the definitions of what this word means. This specific one that Paul is talking about when he said, I am bankrupt without love. He's talking about a love that loves without changing. A self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. That's the part, I'm not good at that. It's a love so great that I can be, it can be given to the unlovable or unappealing. It is love that loves even when it is rejected. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect payment from the love given. It gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive. Listen to this. This word has little to do with emotion. It has much to do with self-denial for the sake of another. One theologian said we get our, Eng- our English word for agony from agape. Listen to this. The actual absorption of being in one great passion. i never forget this. We were just moved to Arizona. Gosh, it's been nearly 10 years ago now. Our oldest daughter was two and a half, three years old at the time, and she was kind of born with the mindset of a 30-year-old. So very mature. She's kind of a problem and a pain in the butt when now she's entering a teenage years because she knows everything. And so, it's good. Thanks for your laughter. Super encouraging. We got to this new church, an amazing church, and there was a little boy there, her friend named Darius, and they liked each other a lot. And so at two and a half, three years old, I see them walking through the church holding freaking hands, (laughs) skipping. I'm like, Megan, you shut that down. I will beat a three-year-old boy if he's holding my daughter's hand. Walking through church holding hands, two and a half years old. So Megan sits down, Brooklyn, listen, here's the thing. We love you. And I know Darius, he's an amazing kid. But you are too young, A, to even be talking about a boyfriend. And B, you don't need to be holding his hand. And she began to cry. But mom, I love him. I was like, that's it, I'm going to kill him. It's over. (laughs) Agony, right? This absorption in a two and a half year old passion, right? But how long has it been since that's the emotion and the feeling that we have in relation to the love for our spouse? To be absorbed with this passion of, I exist simply to love you. We can read this chapter and think that Paul is saying that if we are unfriendly, then our lives mean nothing. But agape love isn't really about friendliness. It's self-denial for the sake of another. It's self-denial, saying what I want doesn't matter. How can I help you? I'm just telling you, I've made some big messes in my life when I love my wife selfishly. I've made some big messes in my life when I set my agenda above our family mission. And I got to tell you this last one. I'm, I've made some messes, created some challenges, and I'm good at this. this was re- I'm like really good at this one. When I critique more than I affirm. When I critique more than I affirm. I'm writing this message and preparing for this at Starbucks. Because Jesus lives there. And I just needed to be there. 
Iced coffee with a shot, unsweetened, a little half and half. Anybody else? Can I get a yeah? From okay. Y'all are shaking your heads. And this guy is waiting for his drink in the county of Orange with perfect weather where he paid $3 for an amazing beverage that will soon be delivered to him. He said, I've been waiting for this drink too long. You guys need to get your blank together. Y'all insert blank whatever you want to say. The guy hands him his mug. This is ridiculous. And he walks out. The next guy in line walks up. says, hey, I've got a mobile order. I'm coming right now. The barista yells at him. I'm sorry. I'm running a little behind. And I was like, that's case in point of what happens in our relationships. This kid gets critiqued by an angry, impatient. He must be from the Inland Empire. I don't know what's wrong with him. (laughs) Gets critiqued. I'm messing. Settle down. He gets critiqued by an angry, impatient customer. It does something on the inside, and his next response was short and rude. And I think so many challenges in our marriages are created because we're better at depositing critique rather than depositing affirmation. Are you tracking with me today? Listen to what Proverbs 15 says. Proverbs 15 says this, kind words heal and help. Cutting words wound and maim. That doesn't even need a definition of what those Greek words mean. Look at this next passage. It's Proverbs 18. It says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The message translation just kind of paraphrases it a little different. Look at this next passage. It says this, Same verse, words kill, and words give life. They're either poison or fruit. Look at that last line, you choose. I'm not saying that we can't critique, but I'm saying that we've got to make more deposits of affirmation than with critiques. Affirmation is what brings life. In fact, I think this is something to think through. I think critique is like concrete. It's like concrete. You pour it in, add some water, put a post in, and once it's said, it sets. And to remove it requires hard, intense labor and a jackhammer. You tracking with me? We say something, because look at me, you can remember exactly where you were standing. Maybe even some of you, what you were wearing. When someone spoke something to you in a harsh tone that brought criticism to either your behavior or your attitude or your actions. And listen, you can probably still remember exactly what was said and it probably still affects you and how you interact with people to this day. I can. I can remember exactly where I was standing when a man that I truly cared about, a leader in my life, called me stupid in front of a lot of people. Thousands of people with the intent to hurt me. I can still remember it. But affirmation... Affirmation is like gasoline. And a vehicle needs gasoline consistently in order to function. But in the right hands, with gasoline, come on somebody, you can ignite an unquenchable fire. Right? Anybody else like to burn stuff with gasoline? Three of you? It's okay. I'm in a recovery group, it's all right. It needs, a, a vehicle needs gasoline all the time. I talked to to people about this all the time when it comes to, to marriage and relationships, especially if you are a woman and you're married to a man. We're like puppy dogs. Scratch us behind the ear and tell us how cute we are and we'll do anything 
But you got to do that every day. Five times a day. Come on, somebody. All the male pastors on our team, Pastor Jeremy, myself, Joe, we love affirmation. One time I was talking to their wives, like, oh, it's just so annoying. I have to keep telling him how great he is. I'm like, yes! <laughs> are you tracking? Well, y'all are not laughing at all out there. It's like a vehicle needs it. You, you can't just hope that you fill up your tank and then it's going to last. You've got to keep going back to the gas station. You've got to keep filling that sucker up. You've got to keep affirming. When was the last time that you said something that filled your spouse's tank? When was the last time? I can remember a very specific season in our marriage where the intimacy was just kind of like, eh. The passion was just not awesome. We were bickering a ton, a ton, fighting a ton. It just seemed like everything we were doing was just more frustrating than exciting. And, and what I can remember most about that season is I did a terrific job of pointing out all the flaws in my wife. How she wasn't doing this and wasn't saying that. Wasn't bringing me in on the journey and wasn't incorporating us. And I did a terrific job of that. And what happened is that really lame season in our marriage went from bad to worse very quickly. The passion was non-existent. The joy evaporated. You know what the worst part about it is? The confidence in our lives was eroding. And I was ashamed of our marriage. And I had created this by more critique and less affirmation. We just had a conversation and just decided we're going to choose to make affirmation our goal. And it wasn't too long in our life. We've never had a perfect marriage. She's perfect. I'm far from it. She's not. (laughs) Things shifted so quickly. Confidence came back. Joy came back. Passion came back. You want to spice up intimacy? Start bringing affirmation even to what is non-existent. That's like seventh grade talk right there and above. And when intimacy is good, everything is good. By the way, we have a 72-hour rule in our home. Every 72 hours, that needs to be happening at least. Some of the men in here just did this right here. Because if that's not functioning, then things are off for both people. There's a disconnect. Are you tracking with me today? That one was for free. You know, I think that one of the greatest precursors to adultery isn't lust but it's when the vacuum of affirmation is filled by someone else. When there's a vacuum of affirmation in our lives and then you're at work and somebody, that sweet thing, tells you how great and smart you are. You're not that great and smart. When that man is just, man, you're a great mom. 
love that. And it triggers something on the inside. Why? Because we were created to do that for our spouse. So here's the thing. Guys, affirm her qualities, not just her looks, and not just at 8.30 when the kids are in bed. Yeah, why are you ladies laughing so hard right now? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> affirm her qualities. Talk about her strength. Resolve. Her passion. One of the things I love about my wife is she's always choosing to be happy no matter what. And I don't always do good at that. But no matter what we're facing, it's okay. We're going to be fine. We're going to get through this. Sometimes I'm like, let me just cry for a minute. It's like, no, we're going to be fine. Smile. And I'm like, okay, I will. We're good. Let's do this thing. You know, some of the, the challenging, most darkest seasons of my life, I wasn't leading our family. She was helping grab me by the arm and sometimes the ears saying, come on, you're going to be fine. Go cry somewhere else. You'll be okay. I'll hug you later, but you get up and you smile. She's really true. It sounds just like her, too. I'm so grateful for that. Because she's strong when sometimes I'm not. You know what? Right now, she feels really good. Because I just affirmed her. Are you tracking with me today? I mess it up when I do more critiquing. Guys, the negative is always easier to see. So some of you are going to have to choose to shut that part of your brain off and look for the great things. And ladies, affirm his abilities. Guys, affirm her qualities, not just her eyes. Strength and poise, resolve and passion and compassion. But for men, affirm his abilities. Baby, you are so good at making our bed. (laughs) And it's been three weeks, but today... Those 57 pillows are exactly where they belong. And you're rearranging them later. We don't know where they go. We don't understand why we have them. It's a sheet and a pillow. That's all we need. Babe, you made her sandwich, peanut butter and jelly. You did it. Woo! Get over here, you big hunk of a man. I did kind of do pretty good, huh? I was confused at first. Jelly, jam, I don't know, but I just went for it. Woo! You think it's good? See how I cut it diagonal? Babe! Seriously, so good. Never seen it cut so well. You think I'm kidding. Every time my wife compliments me, I'm like, that's right. Yeah, I did flush the toilet this time. It was good. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> Affirmation. And listen, even if you are horrible at it, I was, I'm going to throw, throw my wife under the bus right now. I was, I was a, she was driving one day. It never happens. She always wants me to drive. And I want you to drive. Hey, I need to use your phone to text. And I'm, 
holding her phone, and then this image, this thing pops up. Can y'all see that? Leave that right there. That's the real deal. I go, what is this? And she's, she, she's like, dang it. She literally said that. And it's a reminder. So I'm thinking when you reminded, obviously you do this, you affirm me. I said, does this go off monthly? She goes, I said, weekly? every day. No way! (laughs) This goes off every day? I would never know! And I could have gotten mad, but you know what? First of all, I was so freaking cute. Second, I was like, I'm grateful. She really isn't awesome at affirming. That's not a gift she has. For you, but not for me. Listen, there's act, some of us are born innately with the gift of affirmation. That's not church talk. That's real. You're just good at it. I can point to you. I know who you are. You're just good. You see me. Oh, you look so great today. You did so wonderful. And some of you are not. Put a reminder in your phone. This is the key. What about when we need to fix things? Start affirming. Speak to the things that you haven't seen yet. Affirm the things that you saw there when you married him or her, but seem to have evaporated as you've gone along. I'm just telling you, try me. It will work. Because you can remember when someone spoke something that sparked life in you. I stand here today because a man named Scott Lelisher in a restaurant called Cheddar's, which is a crappy version of Chili's, leaned back from the table. I remember where I was sitting. I can name every person of our 18-party group that was there back in 1996. He looked down the table at me. He said, Carrie, come here. I'm a 15-year-old kid. My wife was 47 at that time, and I run down... <laughs> I affirm you, encouragement. And I ran down to where he was sitting, and he said, Carrie, I'm going to do an intern program, and I want you to do this because I think you have a call to ministry on your life. I felt it. I didn't know my dad was a pastor, but I wasn't sure. And in that moment, something awakened on the inside, and literally that is one of the biggest reasons why I stand here. I just wonder what would happen in your marriage if you just spoke some life into something that may be dormant or hibernating and just needs a little sunlight. Throw some affirmation in there. And when you think you've affirmed enough, keep affirming because it's like gasoline in a vehicle and it runs out. If you need to do some critique, do that in love and then come back with affirmation, affirmation, affirmation. Are you tracking with me? I just want something great for you. How many of you here today would just say, you know what? 
The truth is, I think we can grow in our marriage. Would you just raise your hand for a moment? I just want to pray for us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around? God, we thank you that you have great plans for us. And the truth is, God, none of us have this thing figured out, and, and more often than not, it feels like we're sailing into foggy water. Things are unclear and confusing. But God, I believe that if you just help us to stay on track with your mission for our life, I think we can start to hit the target and remove those distractions. God, if we can love selflessly and not selfishly, I think we can start to see the fog clear. And God, finally, to live a life where we put affirmation in, like fuel in the tank, breathing life and bringing life even when it doesn't seem like it exists. God, all of us in this room need help. We just look to you for that strength now. In Jesus' name. Just look at me for one minute. We're almost finished. We do this every week. And I'll tell you why. Because I think the greatest days of your life are attached to doing a relationship with Jesus. And there's a starting point for that. And you have permission not to believe. But every Sunday, we want to give you an opportunity to begin that relationship. Do you realize that the greatest thing about God is that He chose you? One of the most life-giving verses, in other words, one of those verses that brought so much encouragement to me. One day I'll tell you my full story, and you'll realize, man, thank God for God's grace, because Carrie, you need it. It's found in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and it says this, But God shows His love for us, in that while we were still sinners, He died for us. Which means He chose affirmation and selfless love even in our darkest hours. There's a starting point. It's a simple prayer of surrender to say, Jesus, I give you my life. And if you've never prayed that prayer, no embarrassment. In fact, nobody even has to know. I want to challenge you in a moment to pray this prayer with me right where you're at in your own heart, in your own seat. And look at me. Some of you have been running from God and playing with your faith and today's the day to come running back. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes one last time. If you're here and you've never prayed this prayer or you need to pray it again for the first time in a long time, just repeat this simple prayer after me. Just say, Dear God, I know that you're real and that you love me. I need you. I'm messed up. I'm not perfect. But I need you. Just make this simple statement your own. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Please email us at info at theocmovement.com. And if you were not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Please send us an email at info at theocmovement.com. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church.